The Inform Fitness Podcast with Adam Zickerman is a presentation of Inform Fitness Studios, specializing in safe, efficient, personal high-intensity strength training. In each episode, Adam discusses the latest findings in the areas of exercise, nutrition, and recovery, the three pillars of his New York Times best-selling book, The Power of Ten. He aims to debunk the popular misconceptions and urban myths that are so prevalent in the fields of health and fitness. And with the opinions of leading experts and scientists, you'll hear scientific-based, up-to-the-minute information on a variety of subjects. We cover the exercise protocols and techniques of Adam's 20-minute, once-a-week workout, as well as sleep, recovery, nutrition, the role of genetics in the response to exercise, and much more. Greetings, Adam here. Welcome back to the Inform Fitness Podcast Rewind. It's our listen back to classic interviews with some of the best high-intensity gurus, master trainers, researchers, and doctors in the business. This is part three with Doug Brignoli. On his website, Doug aptly describes himself as a bodybuilder on the outside and a science nerd on the inside. In this episode, we discuss balance and core training, intensity, and something called reciprocal intervention. Enjoy. You know, we started this whole uh, talk, you know, talking about myths and belief systems. And here, he, here's another topic where that's fraught with a lot of uh, different belief systems. Right. So I think you'd agree that many uh, physical therapists and trainers misuse the word balance when right. they refer to doing specific type of exercises that improve balance. Right. Uh, aren't they really referring to improving proprioception rather than balance? And uh, isn't proprioception and balance two different things? Yes, absolutely. Balance is equilibrium. Balance is an in inner ear. Also, the bottoms of your feet and your eyes are the sensors that basically inform you whether you're standing upright or leaning to the right or about to fall, whether the ground you're standing on is flat or not. That is actually balance. And as people get older, their senses start to deteriorate. Their eyes, they're, 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 they have neuropathy. Uh, so they don't feel their feet as much, right? So when someone says, you know, I, I, I lose my balance, well, they could have inner ear problems. They could have visual problems. They could have, you know, neuropathy problems. And those things are contributing to them not understanding, not being informed as to whether or not they're upright or not. But if you put that person on a BOSU ball, which is basically proprioceptive training, it's not helping their sensors. They need to see a specialist, an ear, nose, and throat specialist, <laughs> an eye doctor, you know, someone that's going to address their neuropathy in order to really fix their equilibrium issue. But the, what bothers me about the fitness industry is that it has sold proprioception as balance because balance seems to have more value as a buzzword than proprioception. And so people don't want to argue with fixing their balance. They might argue with improving their proprioception, which is basically <laughs> a skill right? It's coordination at a particular skill. They might say, well, that's fine. But, you know, if it's going to compromise, and it always does, by the way, if it's going to compromise the resistance exercise portion of that when I'm combining it, then I'd rather not trade it off. Um, yeah. So, so doing unstable exercises, you know, like doing, let's say, a set of squats on, on, a, on a bozu ball or, right. or a wobble board or something like that, you don't feel that that improves balance for somebody? No. What, what, it, what it improves... It improves your ability to coordinate yourself on that BOSU ball, right? You will eventually get very good at that. Once you get off of that BOSU ball, you're no longer in that environment to which you have adapted. 
right? So it's essentially worthless, right? And I had a client who said, you know, I had a trainer who had me standing on BOSU balls and I didn't find myself any, any more easy to stand on one leg when I'm washing one foot in the shower. Right. Well, that's because when you're standing in the shower, it's not the same thing as standing on a BOSU ball. You got good at the BOSU ball coordination trick. What happens is as we get older, we narrow our movements down to straightforward. When we're young and we're playful and we're playing in the, in the beach and on the sand, we're playing volleyball, we're doing lateral movement, we're doing backward movement, we're jumping up and down. And as we get older, we pretty much move straight forward, right? So we lose our ability to move laterally. We lose our ability to coordinate our brain with these automatic leg movements, right? So let's just say that you are at a party and somebody has put their purse down right next to your right foot. And all of a sudden you realize that as you started to move to your right, something blocked your foot. By this point, you've already leaned your body weight so far over to the right that you are going to fall. Having stood on one leg will not help you. What will help you is having practiced lateral movement, repositioning that foot. So if I were training you, I would say, okay, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna throw this basketball to you. You're gonna shuffle two, three stops to the right. You're gonna catch it, throw it back. You're gonna shuffle to the right. And maybe I won't tell you where it's gonna go. It won't be right, left. You'll have to think. Where, and then all of a sudden your feet will start to become automatic again. Preventing falling is more about coordination. Mm -hmm. It's more about having your legs work in autopilot. Literally when you're standing on one leg, you will not prevent a fall. But a fall happens when you've leaned your body weight too far over and the only thing that'll save you is lifting that leg and moving it somewhere else, and that has to have happened time and time again in some kind of exercise program. Hmm. The muscles that you're talking about um, that are activated on one leg do work with two legs, right? When you're squatting, when you're doing calf raises, when you're doing leg extension, hip extensions, uh, hip flexion, those muscles will be strong if and when you have to lift that leg and reposition it. Yeah, I've always said but, that. I, I agree with you 100% on that. Yeah. But here's what happens is if someone says, you know, I like the way I feel when I'm standing on one leg on a BOSU ball. I like what that does, whether it's right or wrong. I say, okay, great. But try not to do it at the same time that you're doing your dumbbell curls because you'll compromise the dumbbell curls. True. If, if, you're, if you're okay with that, then I would say, okay, so the actual question would be is how much am I losing in terms of the compromise of the dumbbell curls and how much am I gaining in terms of the one-legged, whatever you want to call it, stability, and I would venture to say that you're going to gain maybe two, five percent benefit on the on the leg part, and lose ten or twelve percent on, on on the dumbbell part. You're going to lose more than you're going to gain. I, but if you want to do them, I would suggest doing them separately. I, w I would I would want to add one thing, and this is kind of it's not too common, but but it's something to consider anyway uh, when you're doing these one-legged exercises to improve proprioception, balance, call what you will. Uh, you have to also take into account the person you're doing it with, because I have a couple of clients, for example, that have knee that have knee issues, and they're a little bow-legged. And when you're standing on one leg, you actually strain the knee, and you can Make actually you can actually hurt the knee by standing right. on one leg. So here right. you're working on balance, but you're actually going to screw up the knee or right. the lower back, for that matter. So you have All to right, be careful so, with right. the person's and, and by knee the way, anatomy. Even even if they don't have that, that's exactly what happens in all cases. So for those who are listening, here's what happens: you're standing on two legs. You basically have a foot under a knee, under a hip. Now, if you were to just lift one leg up off the ground, you're gonna fall to the side you lifted unless you reposition the standing leg so that it's straight in the center of your body. 
right? So that means instead of having two parallel legs, your one remaining standing leg is actually now turned sideways. That change is what's called the Q angle at the hip. And in order to compensate for that Q angle of the hip, the lower leg goes the other direction, which is called valgus, which is what you're valgus. talking about, is, which is that knee valgus, having, exactly. to com having to compensate. So you get this person who's standing with a pair of 20 or 30 pound dumbbells. So now he's added a load to the Q angle and the valgus. And you've got more hip strain and more knee strain. Yeah, you can damage a knee and hip. You can. And at the same time, he's compromised his ability to coordinate the curling movement in exchange for what he thinks is going to be better equilibrium, maybe better proprioception in that one specific thing. But how often will that be necessary? So while we're talking about one-legged things, um, sure. let's, let's talk about <laughs> one-legged squats. And again, this, this delves into the sociological issue, which is, a guy's in the gym, he sees a guy doing it, and right away he feels challenged. Hey, I, I bet I can do that. Well, you know, that isn't the reason why we should do things. It's not like, you know, we're not kids anymore. I mean, when you're 12 and 14 years old, you want to keep up with the kids. But, you know, when you're 40 years old, 50 years old, you know, you want to make sure that you're getting nothing but reward and very little risk. So the guy goes over there and he starts, maybe he has a conversation with the guy that's doing the one-legged squat. Why are you doing that? He goes, oh, I'm improving my core. I'm improving my balance. I'm doubling up the load on one leg instead of using, you know, my body weight on two legs. I'm using my body weight on one leg. So I would say, okay, let's, let's parse all of this out. If it's just a matter of load, you can actually hold weight, dumbbells in your hand, and compensate for that load factor. Use two legs. Maintain your balance. Maintain your neutral spine, right, and get that aspect of it. What about the balance? Well, again, we're not talking balance, we're talking proprioception. But more importantly than that, in the Q angle and the, and the valgus and all this, is what I'm gonna say right now. If you see a person doing a regular two-legged squat with good form, you'll notice that their back is slightly arched, right? They're holding a neutral spine. Mm -hmm. You will never see a neutral spine on a one-legged squat. It's rounded. And it's rounded. Mm -hmm. And there's a very, very good reason why it's rounded, not that it's beneficial, it's a, it's a very clear reason. But here's what happens is, and we haven't talked about this, but I know you know about reciprocal innervation. For uh, people that don't know what reciprocal, reciprocal innervation is, it's basically the, the body has a system that involves the central nervous system so that you won't compete with yourself. If you're doing a bicep curl, the central the nervous system- The tricep turns off. Yeah, yeah, the tricep shuts off, okay. Well, the same thing happens, by the way, when we stretch. Right? That's why a lying leg curl is harder because when you stretch the quadricep, the hamstring loses power. All right, so what happens is when you, when you go down into a one-legged squat, you obviously have to have one leg out in front of you. Well, the fact that that leg is out in front of you means that you are actually stretching your hamstring. And the lower you go, the more you have to lift that leg up. And the more you lift that leg up, the more of a, quad, of a hamstring stretch you get. Well, that hamstring stretch is trying to shut off the hip flexor and the quadricep, which is holding the leg up. So what would end up happening is if you had a neutral spine, the hamstring stretch would increase completely shutting off the hip flexor and the quadricep. So in order to have that not happen, the spine gets rounded to diminish the hamstring stretch to allow the hip flexor and the quadricep to hold the leg up. So you end up with basically a risk of herniating a disc because you're descending into this squat with a rounded spine. And all you have to do was a two-legged squat, maybe holding a pair of dumbbells, 
to compensate for the, 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 the resistance difference and, and eliminate the valgus, eliminate the Q angle, eliminate the rounding of the back. You know, a lot of what we've, we've used as deciding factors is whether or not it's hard. Like a guy will hang upside down by the ankles and do his abdominal exercise hanging upside down. It's not because it's good. It's not because it's productive. It's because it's hard. It's because he's going to get a lot of admiration by his peers in the gym. It's because other people don't want to dare it or maybe can't do it. But that isn't a good, healthy way to strengthen the abdominal muscles. Obviously, you're going to have a major hip flexor component in there, which creates that lower back strain because you have your abdominal muscles pulling forward on the tailbone and the psoas pulling forward on the lumbar spine. So, you know, we have to be smart. I mean, we should be smart in how we select exercises. We shouldn't do them just on the basis that it's, it's hard to do. Or is impressive. Or is impressive, yeah. We should, <laughs> it's hard to sever that, but a lot of people are completely ruled by showing off in the gym. Well, we're running out of time, Doug, and, and I do want to – I mean, I can talk to you all day, actually, but uh, I don't know how our listeners are going to feel about that. But <laughs> uh, but I do have one more thing I'd love to talk to you about, uh, and that and that is the topic of intensity. Yep. All right, we're talking about – you know, which is different from just working out hard, right? I mean uh, – and, and, you know, this this comes up recently in the New York Times article because they were talking about – they had an article about rhabdo or uh, te technically speaking, rhabdomyolysis. Myolysis, which, yeah. Yeah. Uh, myolo is that how you say it? Myolysis. Myolysis, yeah. Myolysis. Anyway, uh, rhabdo for short, that, that's a condition in which damaged skeletal muscle breaks down very rapidly and uh, it can really uh, lead to kidney damage. It's, right. it's a very bad condition. It's been getting a lot of press lately because, you know, high-intensity workouts have definitely come into vogue. You know, uh, the brand CrossFit comes to mind, and all these boot camps and, and the high-intensity spin classes, which, which is what this article kind of talked about. This woman who was doing a spin class, she ended up with a case of rhabdo. Uh, which is a very serious medical condition uh, that sometimes is not reversible, and you can actually have long-lasting effects from that. Right, because because uh, the muscle releases toxins that affect the liver. You know, extremes excite because that that's an extreme case, and they are relatively rare. And and, and I think some people have a uh, genetic predisposition to to reaching that, but. Aside from those extremes, many people do believe, though, that going to deep muscle failure will lead to maximum muscle gains. Uh, the, the harder you work out, the, the deeper you inroad a muscle, uh, the better your, your gains. So in regards to intensity and recovery, do you agree with that? I mean, is there, is there a right amount of intensity? How do you measure intensity? Uh, do you think the, harder, the more intense an exercise, uh, the better? Absolutely not. There is a right level of intensity. Um, in my book, I have a chart where I show what happens if the intensity level is too low, what happens if it's too high, and what happens if it's just right? And clearly, just right has nothing but benefit. But if it's too low, you won't get the benefit. If it's too, too high, it's like getting a sunburn. In other words, instead of giving you stimulation, you get injury. And when you have an injury, you actually basically have to heal. So some people think, hey, if I work out super intensely and I just work a body part once a week, in other words, take a longer amount of time between workouts, I can compensate for the high intensity. No. It's not like recovery time is the great equalizer. Like if you do more frequency, you can do super low intensity. Or if you do super high intensity, just take a little extra time and everything will be fine. No. Pretty much the way the body works is when you work a muscle, you're going to have somewhere between a two-day and four-day amount of recovery, after which comes what they call super compensation. That's when the muscle is getting stronger. Right? So the goal 
is to not work that muscle again, assuming you've worked it relatively hard, to not work it until you've passed recovery and have gotten into super compensation. So your goal, ideally, is to get that muscle worked again when it's at the top of super compensation before it comes down to the baseline again. Mm-hmm. So if you wait, let's say, seven, eight, nine days before you work that body part again, regardless of how hard you worked it, you're basically always going back to your baseline. That's why, ideally, you want to work a muscle no more frequently than every other day and no less frequently than once every four or five days. One, one, one rationale for working out to full intensity until, until muscle failure is that you know where you're at. You can be consistent with that time after time. Once you reach muscle failure, you're done. But how do you, how do you stop short of muscle failure consistently, and how do you find that sweet spot of intensity? I, I assume it, you know, obviously it differs for each individual, and there's a lot of other factors involved. Right. But how well, do you go about as 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 a technician uh, training people or training yourself? How do you know where to find that sweet spot for intensity? Well, there there are people who have thought that a muscle will not grow unless you take it to failure, and that has been completely disproven in research. They've shown that not only is it not necessary, it's actually less productive than if you go to a 95 percent effort. So right. how do you find it? Yeah. The only way you can find it is experimentation. And experimentation only happens with really, really, really good consistency. So when a person comes into the gym and they're sporadic in their workouts, you'll never find it. You have to be intimately familiar, intimately familiar with about how many repetitions you can probably get with this weight on your fourth set. You have to know that. Read, and the only way you're going to know that is if you haven't missed a workout for the last three months. Mm-hmm. Right then and only then will you know what 90% is, what 95% is, what I know exactly where my 95% mark is. Mm-hmm. I know that I can that I can get the next rep or that I can't get the next rep, or that the next rep will be, you know, beyond the amount of effort that I that I want to use. And so that's why I always tell people, before we even start talking about how much intensity is right, we need we need to get you absolutely 100 percent consistent. You need to be really, really, really on track so that you are very familiar with what you can predict will be your level of failure with this weight, with this rep, with the set. Then you can start to say, okay, I'm going to get better results doing, let's say, eight sets of 95% effort than I will with four sets of 100% effort. Now, that takes more time, right? But for muscle growth, that has been proven to be the point. You will get better growth with a little bit more volume and a little less intensity and by a little less intensity, I basically just mean less than max. I don't mean yeah. like 30% mean, intensity. Yeah, don't wimp out. Yeah. It's not an excuse to wimp out. Oh, right, exactly. they, uh, Doug said you don't have to work out to uh, high I, intensity. Yeah, that's why I made it clear. You know, I'm not saying less <laughs> intensity in that sense, but I am saying you don't have to go to 100%. When you talk about intensity, you have to take into consideration their age, their hormone levels, their nutrition, how much sleep they're getting, their mm-hmm. other activities that are requiring calories, you know, all of that factors into how much intensity is appropriate for that person today. Yeah, but you also but, said something that's very key, and that is, you know, the, the, the starting the, the starting point for all this is consistency. And I can't tell you how much I implore that uh, yeah. to all my clients that, uh, you know, you have to be consistent with this. Yeah. You that know, is the most important. I always tell people intensity and frequency are far less important than consistency. Well, that's it, folks. A great chat with Doug Brignoli on the Informed Fitness Podcast Rewind. I hope you learned a lot. I know I did. We will have more coming soon from the likes of Martin Gabala, 
Brian Hall, and Doug McGuff, all coming soon on the Informed Fitness Podcast Rewind. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Informed Fitness Podcast with Adam Zickerman. For over 20 years, Informed Fitness has been providing clients of all ages with customized personal training designed to build strength fast. And now Adam and his staff would be delighted to train you virtually. Just visit informfitness.com for testimonials, blogs, and videos on the three pillars, exercise, nutrition, and recovery.